not sure how many of you have uh, heard my story about my wedding ring. Because sometimes the story has been told many times, but um, just not sure that it has been told here. Now, in case you're wondering, I'm married, but I don't have a wedding ring. The reason is because many years ago, as I was pastoring, being a pastor, in West Malaysia, in an area which is called Subang Jaya, and Sunway. Sunway technically is not Subang Jaya. <laughs> Sunway is PJ, and Subang Jaya is Subang Jaya, or, you know, whatever. So, um, every weekend I would be playing football together with a group of brothers. Uh, after a whole week of hard work and the weekend being in church, uh, after the last service in the afternoon, the BM service, I would just rush home, change, and play football with this group of friends. Now, um, there was also a time when I was studying in a seminary, and, and weekend I would travel all the way to Sunway and have ministry in the church, preach, and then play football. Now, there was this one time when we played, uh, all of a sudden, it rained, and it was really pouring, and the whole field was wet. And even to the point, you see that the field is flooded. So it became a little bit muddy. But we keep on playing, that's our philosophy. If you <laughs> if you are not afraid of showering, you shouldn't be afraid of raining, right? <laughs> so you see myself and my children, we never bring any uh, umbrella with us every, anywhere we go. So we keep on playing, but then suddenly the ball went out uh, and I would have to do a throw-in. So I was... As I said, I was studying in a seminary. And when you study in a seminary, they normally give you um, maybe a few hundred a month. And we will have to really watch our budget. Didn't have much to eat. So I was very thin. <laughs> and the, the ring became very loose. As I make a throw in, you know, football, you know, you throw the ball back into the game. The ring just shoot off my finger, fall into the ground. And now, it's supposed to be very straightforward. The, the ring fell, and you pick it up. <laughs> that's the end of the story, right? But this is really something that's really strange. Uh, it fell down, it was muddy, it ran heavily, and the ring just disappeared. All of us in the field try our very best to find that ring of no avail after one hour. We combed the field and I was wondering, probably because it was already muddy, you have the, uh, initially in the field you have the ground, the earth and then the grass, That's, that is called a field. And then <laughs> when it ran heavily, it became water, mud, 
grass and the earth. So the ring probably was just being stepped on and it sank further down into the earth and then it was muddy and it covered up. We couldn't find it. So from that day onwards, I don't have a wedding ring. Now, this group of brothers were very concerned because my wife was waiting for me at a house. We were staying overnight in a house in, in Sunway. So they were trying very hard to cover for me. As we stepped into the house, we still remember some of these brothers were very concerned. One of them I remember was Reverend Seng, Timothy Seng. They were very concerned, so they said, Never mind, Pastor, we'll cover you. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they ran into the house. They would, you know, they would try to calm things down. You know, they would just approach my wife and told her uh, something happened, you know, something happened. And <laughs> to prepare the way, like John the Baptist, prepare the way for Jesus. <laughs> But, so, they, they even, I was outside of the door. They came in first to prepare the way. <laughs> and as they, pre they felt that the situation come down, they would signal me. And then only then I will come in, I will enter the house. <laughs> but, but then, um, so my wife was obviously... You know, because they, they make such a big fuss, my wife was also very concerned. Then uh, my wife said, what happened? What happened? And then I enter and told her that we lost the ring. You know what was her reaction? Now she, she is a hakka. Hakka, okay. Her reaction was this. Che! Now, the next phrase, please note the next phrase. I thought you were injured. That ring, eh? <laughs> Who care about a ring? This morning, I'd like to share with you what happened as the Israelites were crossing the Jordan River. Now, the reading would be from Joshua chapter 4. If you read Joshua chapter 4, you can actually divide it into two parts. Now, there are many ways to read Joshua chapter 4. But one of the many ways of reading Joshua chapter 4 is to just divide it into two parts and to take note of two very important themes in that chapter. The first part concerns Yahweh or or the Lord, if you have your English translation, is normally uh, translated in your Bible as the Lord. When you see the Lord, that Lord is actually a, a special name for God to indicate himself to the Israelites. All right? So it, it's a little bit like the name that you use to address someone that is close, someone that you know very well. Now, this first part here consists of verses 6 to 7 and then 18 all the way to 24. 
But generally, we could say that the second part of chapter 4. Now, this is a story. The story is that they, this group of Israelites, they were delivered out of Egypt and they've been wandering in the wilderness. And now they have come to the point where they have occupied the east side of uh, the River Jordan. Some of the tribes have settled down, but now they are going into the climax. That means entering into the final part, the most important part of the land that God has promised for them. Now, in order to, to occupy those land, they would need to cross a river, and that river is called the Jordan River. Now, that is not a stream. And especially at that time, uh, to cross it, you need to have a bridge in order to cross it properly. Now, what happened was that God gave them a miracle as they crossed the river. So what happened was that the, the God has instructed Joshua and the priests so that the priests would carry the Ark of the Covenant and they will move towards the River Jordan and they will step into the River Jordan and then the, the river, the flowing of the water will stop. And as the river stopped, the Israelites will cross. So that's what happened. So it did happen that way. So as the Ark of Covenant moved, in front of them, enter into the water, the water stopped flowing, and they have a dry path where the, the Israelites would be able to cross the Jordan River. Okay? So that's what happened. Now, in the midst of that came chapter 4 of the book of Joshua, where they were being instructed to remember God and pick up 12 stones. 12 stones. And they were supposed to have those stones so that they would remember what happened on that day. And that's basically what happened in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of the book of Joshua. Now, the three things we can learn from this part, the second part of chapter 4, where our focus would be to remember God. The first is, this group of people, when they crossed that river, they're actually repeating what God has done to the ancestors. The ancestors crossed the Red Sea. But of all of them, only two of them left, now would be crossing the Jordan River. Moses was already dead, so you have Joshua and Caleb. So both of them, together with this new generation, who had never, probably never had that Red Sea crossing experience, now crossing this Red Sea, uh, this Jordan River. Now, the problem with us today, say we often say Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. And I always like to correct people when they say that. It was never Moses who led them out of Egypt. Who led them out of Egypt? 
God. So when we talk about remembering God, when we read the second part of chapter 4, you see all this coming up. And this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones which they pick up in the river meant to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, of the Lord. So the Ark of the Covenant was there to represent the presence of God. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And when the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came out in verse 18, See, again, the covenant of the Lord came out from the midst of Jordan and the soles of, of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground. The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all, overflow all its banks as before. It was an overflowing time. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know what? Moses led you out of Egypt. Joshua led you into the promised land? No. Listen carefully. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you pass over as the Lord your God's emphasis. Again and again it's being emphasized here. Did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we pass over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that who? Who? The hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. There are things that are important. There are people that are important in our lives, in our spiritual journey. These are just people, heroes maybe, spiritual giants maybe, or memorial, stones. But there are sometimes temptations for us to remember the stones without remembering God. So I was very pleased with my wife. She was not concerned with the wedding ring. She was concerned if I was injured. So from that day onwards, I know that she really loved me. <laughs> How do we know if people really love God? Well, one of the indications that they may not be so serious about God is that they would remember God's miracle. They would remember God's memorial, such as those stones. They will keep the stones, but they may not remember God. So what happened in the Old Testament was that slowly the Israelites reduced the Ten Commandments into law, into codes of moral into rules and regulations, and they keep it very well, all the way. And even during Jesus' time, you have the Pharisees who were actually very faithful to the law. They have the ring, but they don't have the husband. They have the law, but they don't have God in their thinking. All they want to focus on was whether what is right and whether what is wrong. But God was not interested in what is right and wrong. At the point, 
where he delivered the Israelites. Why am I saying that? It's because we know today very clearly that as people who have fallen into sin, we will not be in any way right. We can only be wrong. So God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt not because they were righteous, not because they were right. God delivered us out from our sin before we were being called righteous. It was God who called us righteous. It was God who called the Israelites righteous. And then they were given the Ten Commandments. So what comes first? God comes first. Grace comes first. Love comes first. Not what is right and wrong comes first. Why do we need the law? The law is for us to remember God because God loves us so much. We will love Him. And we cannot have the Ten Commandments alone without the story. We need the story of crossing the Red Sea and crossing Jordan so we remember what God has done. And when, as we remember God has done, you will find that it's not too difficult to live according to what God has wanted us to, according to the law. But if you do the reverse, what will happen? We'll become legalistic. We'll just focus on judging and forget to be thankful and to have gratitude. So that's the first thing we can learn is the Red Sea experience led by God as well as the Jordan experience also led by God. So our ultimate, secondly, that means our ultimate focus in that experience should be God and how do we apply it in our lives today? I like to use, I normally like to use the example of wedding in the church. Every time if I conduct a wedding in church, I would tell the couple, remember, if you want to have a wedding in church, praise God, I believe that is, that is wonderful. But please remember, that means it is going to be a worship. It's a service. Your focus is God. So in any wedding, the focus should be God and never the couple. So I've always been quite strict. So in front of the parents and all the relatives, I would say the same thing during the rehearsal. So I would say that, remember, so the reason why you shouldn't be running around and the cameraman, especially you, cameraman, <laughs> don't come up to the, here, here this, you should, this, there's a circle here. You know, the very reason why we have this service is so that the church body would come together to witness and to worship the Lord together. So if you obstruct their view, that means you're disrupting the worship. I say I may kick you out of the church or something like that. Lah. <laughs> Maybe not, not so blunt, but I've just spoken what I think. And that is also why um, when we think of, let's say, the marriage 
or the wedding, we should think of God. The focus should be God. And that's why um, the, what is happening inside our heart during a wedding is more important. So you wonder, you know, the, the bridegroom will be standing there and uh, before the bride came in, I will always pray with the bridegroom and remind him, remember? Focus on God. Huh? <laughs> you think your wife very beautiful. Huh? <laughs> you know, the, you get the point. And finally, 12 stones were being used by the Israelites to, indic- to, to show that, that God has delivered them. And you see that happening again when Elijah was battling, like we said, uh, com- confronted with the, all the false prophets, uh, the prophets of Baal. And in that confrontation, you see the Bible say that he picked up 12 stones and make the altar. The stones were used not only as means of memorial, but also as a practical way for the Israelites to connect to God. So the stones were useful. In, in, in remembering God, there are things that we, well, use. Sometimes it doesn't sound right, you know. It seems like you're using it. But maybe the, the way we can think about this is to think of something that is practically relevant to us. Because what's going to happen to this group of people? This group of Israelites, they will be uh, settling down in the promised land and then the children will be settling down and the children's children, 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 all the way, don't know how many generations, and then they don't feel it that much, you know. The first generation who cross, tell the next generation, of course, that impact will be great. You remember, do you know that day uh, we walked, uh, I saw fish on the ground, something like that. I don't know what happened, but they, they will tell that story with such enthusiasm. But after a few generations, uh, it would die down a bit. People might not have that sense of excitement, but they have the stone, which they still use to remember God, and they may also use it in as they worship God. So one indication was in, during Elijah's time when he used it to build the altar. Now, not long ago in Austin's Cathedral, we celebrated Mother's Day. And the church was so kind, they gave all of, this, uh, all, of all of us, each family, a dispenser, a very special dishwashing liquid dispenser. It's, it's like a box. You put in the liquid and then you press it, it will come out. Okay? It's amazing. So, uh, I thought this is the most practical Mother's Day gift I've ever seen. And it, it's very useful. So, we use it at home. 
we put that in our kitchen, and every day we will use it. Every day we will press, tuck, 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 tuck. it has a kind of sound, you know, when you push it, it's like tuck, 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 tuck. So every time you push it, tuck, 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 you remember All Saints Cathedral. To be very honest, I don't normally think of All Saints Cathedral, you know. <laughs> but this gift uh, is so powerful. You remember, you, ta -ta 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 -ta, you uh, pray for All Saints Cathedral. Praise God. <laughs> thank God, thank God, thank God for, for this church, this wonderful church. This, you know, pray for the leaders. You know. So smart, I give this kind of gift. Ta -ta -ta. So convenient, so good. <laughs> make our lives so much easier, so much better. Same with the stones. Same with our Holy Communion. Every time we take the Holy Communion, say, wow, so nice. God's grace. We've been 2,000 years from what happened when uh, Jesus first instituted the Holy Communion. And we are still doing the same. We might not be as excited as those disciples who were there in the very first Holy Communion. But if we have this tuck, 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 tuck every week, we remember that, yes, we might not be there at the Red Sea, but we are here, we are also crossing over all the time. We also experience God all the time. And God's goodness never changed. So the, the greatest theme in the Old Testament is God's faithfulness. God never changed. From the very beginning, uh, when he chose Abraham, Abraham didn't really understand. That's why he was called, he's called a father of faith because he, he didn't understand, but he believed. And then later on, you have uh, a Moses who really is, has no, no faith, lah, this guy. Okay? <laughs> if you read carefully, you notice that if you compare him to Abraham, cannot compare. He always have all these reasons, he need this, lah, that. Lah, you know? So you, you, when I read Moses, I see myself. But God is faithful. So perhaps one of the things we can learn when we remember God is, is that we are actually so untrustworthy. So we need to have, we need to maintain our expectation of ourselves and others in church as well. Because we know that we all will fail. We will. Just like the Israelites. They fail multiple times. But what is different? The difference is, God will never fail. We may fail, but God never fail. In fact, we always do. But God will always save us. So even after the wilderness, they could still have a miracle at the Jordan. So dear brothers and Christ, friends, we must have this gratitude. And this gratitude will bring us to the next point. The second lesson we can learn from chapter 4 of uh, Joshua 
He said, hope is in God whom we remember. The key word is hope. Not long later, in fact, quite long, but also not too long in terms of history, this group of Israelites and their descendants will be exiled, in exile. They will be captured by the foreign kingdom and a large part of them will have to leave the promised land and live in a far away foreign land, captured as captives. Now imagine when they were away, they will look back at this incident. How would they feel? What would they think? Now, if any one of us were them, we've been captured away from our home. I mean, you know, I'm a Chinese, then we normally will say this. Sailor, sailor. Sila, sila. So we all know, normally, we'll look at the circumstances, we will evaluate the situation, we'll think that, ah, it seems that our future is doomed. No hope. But the Israelites, they were so different. They can look back, and then, hey, you've got 12 stones. <laughs> and what does that mean? That means if God can deliver you into the land, and now you are out of that land, God can also deliver you back to the land that He promised you. If He has done it before, He will do it again. So that gives the Israelites hope. And the same also to all of us. Because we may not have the ability to change our situation. That's when they were in Egypt, Egypt was the superpower at that time. Superpower. And then Babylon, Assyria, superpower. And then Persia, superpower. Israelite, the Israelites, Israel, small nation. And it's likewise today, you look at our situation, we are so helpless in some countries. Um, you want to drive a car? You have to think again because the petrol prices has shot up so much. You know, that just the other day, my son just came out of the room and said, hey, do you know that, you know, you want to fill up a tank in uh, England, 150 pounds or something like that? 150 pounds, wow, times what, five? <laughs> to just fill up a tank of a normal vehicle, you know, and said, how can we as ordinary people control infl inflation <laughs> and war and famine and environmental issue, global warming, uh, look at the amount of rent and all this problem that we have. We feel so helpless and also hopeless. But if we know God, then we know that if we focus on Him, we'll be able to cross 
the Jordan. He has done it, and he will do it again. Now, if we read the first part of uh, Joshua chapter 4, the large part of it, all the way from verse 1 to verse 11, talks about the, what they should be doing. Okay? For example, verse 2, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, and from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua, as they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Verse 10, for the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all Moses had commanded Joshua, the people passed over in haste. And when all people had finished, passed over the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and the priests passed over before the people. So, this part you see keep on repeating. Of course, repetition means emphasis sometimes. In this case, it's about 12, each from one tribe. 12, 12, 12, 12, 12 stones, 12 people, 12 tribes. 12 means 12, not one. In remembering God, and in remembering God with hope, we are not alone. Now, one of the things that modern society teaches us is that we are supposed to make our own decision. We are supposed to deal with moral issue as an individual. We should, of course, this is true. We should accept Jesus Christ as a personal savior, personal savior yourself. You know, we normally tell people, uh, it doesn't really matter if your parents were Christians. Most importantly, you must know Jesus. I think this is important. But when that person becomes a Christian, he or she is not a Christian. Never there is a Christian in this world. Because... The people of God is always a group. And 12 means 12. You can't have only one or two or three. And this is consistent all the way to Revelation where you see the 12 tribes are involved in that great vision, meaning that the, this is what we call the communal aspect. We are created to have relationship with God and one another. So when we remember, we will be remembering together. If we return to that land, we will return to that land together. If we ever cross over, we will cross together. If we want to pick up stones 
and we are asked to do so, we will pick it up together. And this aspect of remembering is sometimes missing in the modern church. Because in the modern church, we say, it's up to me. I can worship myself. Well, theologically speaking, you cannot worship yourself because you are one of the twelve. You are ever connected. You will always be the body of Christ. Say, wow, the body of Christ is a human. If, if the body of Christ, right? We, of course, Christ is human, but you know the body is a body. Can you imagine that you worship, the finger is worshipping, but the eyes are not. <laughs> you say, I am a part of the body of Christ, but, you know, I, I worship my, my own. You, you worship your own. It, it never happened in, in such a way. It's always the Spirit guide us, like what we see in Ephesus, in Ephesians, very clearly uh, the teaching in the epistle of uh, Ephesians. One body, one spirit. We're connected by the Holy Spirit. So when we worship today, on Sunday, we know that we are not worshipping here alone. We are also worshipping together with all our brothers and sisters everywhere in the world. So some people ask, hey, as an Anglican priest, since you can celebrate Holy Communion, can you celebrate Holy Communion at home? And, you know, you celebrate yourself, you take the Holy Communion yourself. Lah. <laughs> so convenient, huh? right? Well, strictly speaking, you cannot do it. Strictly speaking, you are not allowed to do it according to the church canon because it violated the idea that when you remember, you remember together. Twelve means twelve. No one should be left behind when everyone crossed the River Jordan. When everyone in fact, it's very interesting to know that there are other three tribes on the east side of Jordan. They also cross, <laughs> even though they settle. Okay? They also cross and they also take, took part in the conquest on the other side. So when we remember God, let us uh, remember as the body of Christ, let us prioritize our gathering. Yeah, sometimes, of course, it has to be online. Sometimes it has to be on site as well. But always, always, we are together. Uh, no one should be worshipping alone. And especially nowadays, sometimes we are tempted to worship at home alone. Sometimes we are tempted, you know, and uh, if that's the case, then we miss out this very important part, aspect of being a Christian. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for gathering us together.
It is so wonderful that as we gather listening to your word, Lord, we know that we are together remembering what you have done, not only to the Israelites, but also to all of us. All of us, O oh Lord, have our very own story, but together we have a greater story. And especially, Lord, for this church, we have here in this church, this particular community, our own story. And Lord, you are the focus of our story. We have gone through so much together. We have crossed the Red Sea. We have crossed the Jordan. We have been in exile and we have again returned. And we have experienced Christ together. So Lord, help us to remember and help us to have gratitude. Help us, Lord, to put down, to put down our pride, our individualistic tendency. Help us, Lord, to share with one another your wonderful blessings in our lives because we share this story together. We also give you thanks, Lord, for the way you reminded us that the things that we are doing every week, that we are doing all the time, such as worshipping together and receiving the Holy Communion, celebrating the Holy Communion. These are important reminders to help us focus on you. Help us, Lord, to immerse ourselves into this liturgy and to see the beauty of this liturgy because, Lord, we know that they are meaningful if our focus is on you. So help us, Lord, to really enjoy your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.